do you love fresh fruit? That was a great seed. So, like, what kind of fruit do you like? Cherries, peaches, pineapple. What else? Blackberries. What's that? Watermelon. It's, it's a great season for fresh fruit, isn't it? Tomatoes. How many, like, really just love tomatoes? They're not my favorite, but they're great, especially when they're nice and fresh and juicy and red and they're not, like, fake styrofoam kind of spray-painted. Just this. So God loves fruit. We're going to see that this morning in looking at John chapter 15. Uh, God loves fruit of the life of Jesus flowing through his disciples. This text, John 15, 1 through 11, is one of the prime, primo, major teachings on what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So John 15, we're looking at this. And one of the challenges of this text is it's very symbolic. So for those of us who are concrete thinkers, we, we want to say, can you just be straightforward, Jesus? But he is a wise teacher, right? Got to say, yes, Jesus is a wise teacher. And he uses symbols that allow us to have a broad understanding of what he's talking about. And John loves to do that. John, the gospel writer John, loves to use, to capture some of Jesus' more symbolic teaching and cause us to wrestle with exactly what is he saying here. So I'm going to pray and ask that God will help us to see what Jesus is saying and how this applies to us. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, you are the master gardener. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, says this text. Holy Spirit, you have seen to it that Jesus' words were recorded and you mean for them to have direct application to us today. And so help us, give us wisdom beyond just our human wisdom to understand and see what this means for us as disciples or maybe those who aren't truly disciples of Jesus Christ. So, Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. We ask for your good pleasure to be worked in our lives to grow us in Jesus. It's in his name we ask. Amen. So we'll read this text and then we'll, we'll just jump into it verse by verse. These 11 verses, we won't get to give equal attention to all of them, but uh, let's read it. This is Jesus. He's in the upper room just before his crucifixion. So this is his closing, closing teaching before he's crucified. I am the true vine And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. 
If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's read the words of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. Why does he talk about himself as being a vine? In the Old Testament, a couple passages, for example, in Isaiah 5 and, and Psalm 80, uh, Israel is referred to a vine, as a vine. And in those symbolic passages, Israel was portrayed as failing to produce fruit pleasing to God. Uh, not because they're any worse than we are. We would have done it if we were Israel. They just happened to be God's chosen nation to put on display his glory, but they failed again and again and again at that. And so Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I'm, I'm here to do what Israel failed to do, to produce God-glorifying fruit of obedient faith. The vine is the means of life and growth and fruitful productivity of the branches. So the imagery is very obvious. How it applies to us is what we have to work at. And Jesus says, if I'm the vine, then the, his Father, my Heavenly Father, is the vine dresser. He's the master gardener. The Father is the one who cultivates the vine so that it produces fruit and more fruit. So with that set up, Jesus goes on and says, this is verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So, what are branches in Jesus who don't bear fruit? What does that image mean? That refers to people who have close connection to Jesus because branches connected to the vine have a close connection with the vine. Have close association and contact with them who don't bear any fruit of living connection to him. Which is a frightening prospect to be, have a close connection with Jesus and not be bearing any fruit for him. So an obvious example in Jesus' own context was Judas. Judas was, had a very close connection with Jesus. He was one of the twelve. And no one was, none of the other disciples ever suspected him as being a traitor. Even when Jesus kind of gave some hints toward the end. Hey, Jesus, tell us who it is. And Jesus would kind of give sort of an oblique hint. And nobody would ever pick up on it. So nobody ever said, ah, Judas, you're the guy. So he looked. He did miracles. He did everything the other disciples did. Nobody suspected that, uh, Jesus, or that Judas would betray Jesus. So that's an example of a fruit, a branch, that is, who had close connection with Jesus, who did not bear any fruit. Today, a fruitless branch associated with Jesus who gets taken away by the father, that is, the father vine dresser, as the image has him portrayed, would be one who professes to believe in Jesus, who participates in some uh, Christian activity, but who bears no fruit of a living relationship with Jesus. Now, now we need to ask, well, what is fruit? And again, we, us concrete thinkers, just come out and tell us, Jesus, why do you have to use this symbolic language? We struggle to figure out what fruit is. But it becomes pretty obvious that 
Fruit is at least the result of a living relationship with Jesus. And it's the result of persevering dependence on the vine. Um, That is, Jesus, by faith. Fruit, in other words, is our lives being transformed and conformed to Jesus Christ. So it's all that's involved in us being made to be like Jesus. And that would involve carrying out his mission as well. So fruit would include... Uh, impacting others for Jesus Christ. Fruit is the character of Christ being grown in our lives. It's the obedience of faith in Christ summed up in love for God and others. Now, in our time, the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control produced by the Holy Spirit would be how Jesus' fruit is manifest in us. So that's a, a good way to think about fruit. So Jesus says the task of the master gardener, that is the father, but in the image, the master gardener, true master gardener, uh, was one of distinguishing between productive and unproductive branches and dealing appropriately with them in both cases. So the unproductive branches were taken away or removed, and while the productive branches are cleansed or pruned so that they will become more productive. So, translating that to Jesus saying, the Father is the vine dresser, that means the Father gets rid of dead wood so that the living, fruit-bearing branches may be sharply distinguished from them and may have more room for growth. So, what does it look like for the Father to take away, literally, a person who seems connected to Christ but is fruitless? It seems, because Jesus is saying, on the one hand, The Father is taking away some branches that are dead wood, and he's pruning others that are live so that they'll be more fruitful. He's talking about something that happens now, not necessarily at the end when Jesus returns. So it seems that some kind of withdrawal of the means of life and growth that's being wasted on branches that don't bear fruit. So some kind of cutting off of the the wasted grace that comes their way. Now, that's pretty tough to hear. On the other hand... The Father's pruning those who are bearing some fruit so they'll bear more fruit. So Father the vine dresser prunes those who bear fruit so they'll bear more fruit. And pruning hurts. Have you noticed? It really, really stings. You know, when you want a tree or a bush or a vine to be more fruitful, you don't cut the whole plant down unless you're just mad and you make a mistake and you go overboard, right? Um. But you trim it so that it will be more fruitful. So be glad for the Father's loving, expert, pruning work that he does in our lives. So I'm just going to throw out a question. How has the Father been pruning in your life today? What has he been doing to remove from you those life-sucking, sucking things in your life that, that just suck the life of Jesus <laughs> from being first and foremost in your life? Um, things that are clogging up the life of the vine from flowing through you. What's been diverting that from happening in your life? So what are those things? I might ask you again at the end. You may say, well, I've seen a person who. I'm going to ask you to respond at the very end. You know, what are things, what are ways that God, you would want him to prune us as a church or yourself? Well, verse 3, Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The cleansing power of Jesus' word is like the life of the vine pulsating through the branches. The word of Christ, 
That is, the teaching of Jesus includes who he is and what he does. When the word of Jesus has taken hold of you, and Jesus' word is that which takes hold of us and brings us to Jesus, you are cleansed from sin's deadening, damning power, and you go on Jesus for life support. And that's now we're getting at what we're talking about in terms of abiding. And that takes us to verse 4. Now, abide is one of those words. How many of you ever used the word abide in every day, maybe even this, this year? I mean, it's just not one of those words we use very much at all, except in certain translations of the Bible, like this version of the Bible translates this word abide. Some of your versions say, well, we don't, we don't talk that way, so they use the word remain. That's a fair translation. Uh, so the word abide in this context means to remain, to stay, to continue in. Um, it means here, holding fast to Christ and dependent, obedient faith. And that's why I say, John likes to use language that Jesus taught, so he really likes to zero in on Jesus' teaching that used this language that had a broad meaning, that we can't just pin down to one thing. So abide means that remaining, that staying, holding fast to Jesus, drawing life from Jesus. It's got that whole focus on that absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ for life and to bear fruit, the fruit of obedient faith. So just as the branches are totally dependent on the vine to bear any fruit, so we are totally dependent upon Jesus Christ, so that we, so must we abide in Christ, so must we remain and hold fast to him in faith to bear any fruit, indeed to have spiritual life at all. We cling to Jesus for life. Now, you said you like, how many of you like blueberries? I love blueberries. We, we planted blueberry bushes for the first time this year, and, and we got like a whole bowl full of them already, first time planting. So you too, just because I like it for a mere $5 here is a little branch from a blueberry bush. You could take it and grow your own blueberries. Anybody want to take me up? $2? 50 cents? Man, you are stingy type people. Why don't you want this branch? Why don't you believe me that it's going to produce blueberries? It is a trick. Yeah. It's a real branch, but I heard it back here. What's that? Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not connected to the plant, which has the roots, so it's not connected to the vine or the bush. So you're very smart people. I can't pull anything over you, so I have to watch for future. I'll be a little more sly in future attempts to, to fool you. Well, Jesus says... Unless we hold fast to him, we won't bear any fruit. And he says also, it, you abide in me and I in you. Kind of difficult to be precise what, how, what Jesus means there. But it does seem to mean that his abiding, even though we're completely saved by grace, we must intentionally abide in Jesus Christ. So if you abide in me and I in you, uh, so that faith abiding, that means con- Committed, continuous, keeps coming back when you stray, connecting faith. That keeps coming back even when you stray, connecting faith. It's not, a, it's not just a religious check-in and get your ticket faith, right? That kind of abiding that saves is a, is a abiding, a f- ongoing faith, trust, obedient faith that lasts. And it keeps coming back even when you fail. So we're not talking about perfection here. Like, I've arrived, I'm perfectly connected to Jesus in terms of how I live that out. But it does mean that I know where my life source is, and no matter how many times I fail, 50 times a day, I keep coming back to Jesus. I don't write it off. I, I don't say, 
Jesus is a lost cause. I'm a lost cause. I'm giving up on him. I keep coming back to Jesus again and again and again and again. That's what that life-giving faith does because we, we recognize only in Jesus do we have life and we want him desperately and we keep, keep connecting to him again and again and again. So bearing fruit involves a, gr- a growth driven by the vital, dynamic life of the vine in the branch. Only that kind of growth produces fruit. And then in verse 5, Jesus kind of expands. He says the same thing, only expands a little bit. So he's really driving home this point. He really wants to make sure his disciples get this. This is the core issue he wants his disciples to get. This is the very heart of being Jesus' disciple. Make sure you get this. I am the vine. Jesus I, says, I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. So, just to state the obvious here, abiding in Christ produces much fruit. Fruit bearing, even much fruit bearing, will happen, will happen for those who abide in Christ, without exception. That's what Jesus said. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This isn't just for the the rare, privileged, super disciple. It is, if you are a disciple of Jesus, that by definition you abide in him, and if you are a disciple of Jesus who by definition abides in him, you will bear much fruit. On the other hand, Jesus says, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from abiding in Christ, you can't do anything. Now you say, excuse me, uh, I can do a lot of stuff, by the way, you should know. Uh, I'll have you know I'm quite accomplished at all kinds of things. I can cook. I'm good at math. I'm great at carpentry. I'm in Mensa. How many of you are in Mensa today? Oh, okay, that's, that's a club for geniuses. So. I'm great at golf, organizing. I'm good at eating. How many would say that? I'm trying to find something we're all good at. I got 2,000 Facebook friends. People tremble at my video game skills. I am good at all kinds of stuff. Jesus is obviously talking about that kind of thing. That's fine. He's talking about spiritual fruit that comes from abiding in him. Oh, okay, so we're talking about spirituality. Okay, well, let me give you my resume there. Uh, I come to church at least twice a month, whether I feel like it or not. I drop uh, money in the offering for tax deduction. I'm involved in the community group. I listen to Christian radio and sponsor an orphan in Africa. Okay, those things are good. But if you don't abide in Christ and he doesn't abide in you, Jesus says all of that doing is a big fat zero. It is nothing. It is absolutely worthless for eternal life fruit. Not bad things to do. In and of themselves, those are good things to do. They just are not what Jesus is talking about. It's getting the cart before the horse, the fruit before the, before the branch tied into Jesus. So if, it's, if you're not abiding in Christ, all of the stapling fruit onto your lives still means nothing. And what's worse is what Jesus says in verse 6. In verse 6, Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. So there's a huge contrast between those who do abide in Christ and those who don't. If anyone doesn't abide in Christ, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And then the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, at the very least, it goes very, very, very bad 
for those who have a false connection to Christ, who are not bearing any fruit, who are not really abiding in him. The image of the branch being thrown away and withering describes the uselessness and lifelessness of that branch. And you've seen this, a tree or a bush, or yesterday I uh, was watering our potted flowers. We have a hanging basket, and there were some brown branches there in brown stems. I pulled them out because they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So they were dead, just throw it away through the recycling. Didn't burn them, but recycled them, supposedly. Yard waste. So you've seen that. It may still have an attachment to a tree or a plant, but it isn't really drawing life from the plant. So you cut it off and throw it away. Throw it in the burn pile. At some point, the branch is burned in, in the burn pile. So those who don't abide in Christ will be cast into the burn pile, lose all outward pretense of life in Jesus, and enter into judgment. This is very hard teaching, but Jesus is not about... Uh, letting us remain deluded about whether we're really in him or not. Either we're abiding in him and bearing fruit, or we're not. And that can be worse situation for us than if we're making no pretense of connecting, being connected to Christ. Because if you're not making any pretense of being connected to Christ, then you know you're not there, and you either reject or accept. But if you think you're connected to Christ and not then that can be a very hard place to be. So that's why Jesus has to be very clear and radical in how he's teaching, because he doesn't want anybody to be deceived about their true condition. Well, the promises are great. The hard teaching is there. The good teaching, the encouraging teaching is here as well. In verse 7, Jesus repeats himself again with a little bit of change. Notice that instead of saying, if you abide in me and I abide in you, Jesus now says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. To have Jesus dwell in you and his words dwell in you is virtually the same thing, right? They are inseparable. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus' words and his works are the central key to the whole word of God. So it's by faith in Christ that God's word has cleansing, life-giving power. So to love and long for Jesus is to, to desire his words because that's how we know him now. And to desire his words and his, and his word is to be connected in love to him. To have his word coursing through your veins is to have him in your life and his life in you. A person who really illustrated this for me is a, a young lady I've told you about her before a few months ago. Her name is Christina Amon Neville. On June 13th, she died at age 31 from brain cancer. And her mother uh, wrote this about her in her blog. She was reflecting on eternal life, which is the fruit of abiding in Christ. Eternal life, live forever, she writes, never die. Really? Is this just a nice religious-sounding phrase or the shocking truth of life with Jesus? Christina's dying process brought further clarity to my heart on the subject. About three and a half weeks before her last breath on earth, her body was fading. Her eyesight was nearly gone. Her ability to move around was greatly diminished. Her mind could no longer hold together the facts and happenings of a day. But our time together on May 18th was marked by the discussion and recitation of Psalm 23, particularly walking through the valley of the shadow of death and fearing no evil. So keep in mind, her brain's shutting down. She's losing her faculties. 
But when you get on the Word of God, she starts talking this way. Then she asks for more Scripture. We read 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. We read John 17. She said she did not want little bits. She wanted large amounts of Scripture, big chunks of God's living Word. We discussed both of these passages in depth. Here is the statement that stunned me, writes her mother. My spirit is waking up. I want to stay up all night and talk about these important things. So though Christina's physical life was shutting down, the eternal life in her, Jesus' life in her, was more evident than ever. And that eternal life had a gravitational pull toward the Word of God because that is where she derived her life in Jesus. As Jesus says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that is an attractional force for more of God's word. And when you are recognizing, when you're, your physical life is gone and going, you long, if you're abiding in Christ, for that very word that is your life, that is your eternal life. And that's what Christina so well illustrates. She had lived a life of abiding in him and his words in her. Now, of course, she abides, she remains, she stays in his presence uninterrupted now that she's with Jesus. But Jesus says, when we abide in him and his words abide in us, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wow, does Jesus know what he's saying when he says that? I mean, come on. Won't such an open promise of answered prayer lead to an abuse of God's generosity like a run on the market? And, or disappointment if he doesn't answer that kind of open-ended prayer? Well, God is not in danger of having to answer all kinds of crazy selfish requests, right? Because Jesus prefaced with these conditions. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Those who abide in, that is, remain in, hold fast to Christ, and whose hearts and desires are shaped by Jesus' words will ask according to God's will, as Jesus always did. Jesus stated similar prayer promises in other passages in John. So he really means for us to pray with this kind of open openness to his promise that he will, whatever we ask in his name, as we abide in him if, and his words abide in us, he will answer. You say, well, I've prayed for many, I've prayed many prayers that God has not seemed to answer. Does this mean I've not been praying in God's will? Well, it could mean that. Uh, we're certainly not yet perfected and few things are more imperfect than my prayers, I notice. That's the biggest struggle, I think, for most of us is just how to pray, what we pray, how often we pray, how weakly we pray. Um, And so it's very likely my prayers are not perfect, for sure. Even the Apostle Paul said we do not know how to pray for as we ought, what to pray for as we ought. But the answer to some of our prayers may be, wait, I've got something far better for you. But in the context of this passage, we need to see prayer as a lifeline. It is the way above maybe any other way that we abide in Christ. Because it's that continual cry for Jesus to help us abide in him, to remain in him, to hold fast to him, to give us a hunger for him and his word. We're asking him to do what only he can do. That his word will richly indwell us with sin-killing, holiness-energizing, prayer-fueling power. Without prayer, writes one, the Christian graces will wither and die. So prayer is a major means of abiding in Christ. Prayer and fruit-bearing are really strongly connected. We'll see that in verse 8, where Jesus says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
We pray that our lives and our church fellowship would glorify the Father by bearing much fruit and so grow increasingly as his disciples. This should always be the trajectory of our prayers. Always, uh, whatever, whatever we're seeing, whatever we're facing, we're always praying desperately that God would glorify his name and he would produce fruit in us. So here's a story that illustrates how God is glorified by prayer and fruit bearing. It's not something that most of us are going to run into, but I think we can see in this desperate state this person was in that as we pray, God works, he glorifies himself, and fruit will be produced in our lives or in our church. Mahin and her husband lead several house churches in Iran, but after her husband's arrest, she feared the same for herself. Bringing her petition before God, she pleaded, Dear Lord, I'm not ready to go to a solitary confinement because of my faith. As you know, I was born and brought up in a wealthy family. Please don't test me beyond my ability. That's a kind of a weak prayer. But that's what most of our prayers are like. We're crying out in desperation. Three days later, the secret police knocked on her door. Arguing with God, Mahin said, I have already asked you not to put me in this temptation, so whatever happens, it's not my fault. How's that for a prayer? God, I told you not to do it. You're letting it happen. It's not my fault. What happens? So this is not an example of, wow, well, I want to pray like this. But to her surprise, when she arrived at the prison, I felt God's peace, there's fruit, downloaded fruit from Jesus, come down on me, and my fear went away. That night she was taken before the high official with the help of the Holy Spirit, that's abiding. Mahin shared, it is an honor for me to talk to people about Jesus. So she's before an Iranian court, Muslim situation. It's an honor for me to talk with people about Jesus. Like all other people and Muslims, you also need Jesus in your life. Without Jesus, a person does not have peace in life, is hopeless and without purpose. Jesus laid down his life for you too so that you can have salvation and not perish. Well, the official responded in anger. Do you know the consequence of all this? You cannot evangelize me. It will cost you a heavy charge. Mahin responded. If I don't share the truth with you, I will be accountable to God about it. Therefore, I can't keep silent. She's taken back to her cell, unable to sleep, wondering what would become of her. Then suddenly she heard a key in the lock. As she watched the door slowly open, to her surprise, standing in front of her was the high official. Don't be afraid of me, he says. I need your prayer. He continued telling her how her testimony in the courtroom had a powerful impact on his life. I need to be saved, he pleaded. I, just, I need Jesus in my life. I believe God has sent you to this prison so that you can share about salvation with me. For three hours, Mahin talked to this official about Jesus. Repenting of his sins, he committed his life to Christ. A few days later, Mahin and her husband were released from prison. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. That is what Jesus is after. That's how we pray. Now, we're going to uh, take some time to pray here about, in light of this text, this great promise of fruitfulness, about abiding in Christ. But I want us to see these last three verses. We're just going to hit them really quick. 
that it's not just about functionality. Abiding in Jesus in verse 9 means being immersed in, living in Jesus' love as the Father loves him. That's what he says in verse 9. So this abiding is close relationship with him. It is producing fruit, but it is abiding in his love. And in verse 10, he says, Yet, abiding in his love isn't a fuzzy, warm feeling. It's valuing and honoring Jesus and delighting and obeying him, just as he did abide in his Father's love by delighting to obey him. So if you love the Father, if you love Jesus, you will delight in obedience. It won't be a burden. Just as Jesus, it was not a burden for him to obey his Father. And then finally, he says in verse 11, If you obey Jesus, his joy will be in you, so your joy may be made full. If abiding in Christ sounds like joyless spiritual grunt work, it's actually meant to fill you with the very joy that Jesus himself has. So he freely gives you this joy of abiding and fruit-bearing in him. So I want to ask, and then we're going to pray in light of some of the feedback I get. Since abiding in Christ results in bearing much fruit, what are things that we allow to interfere with abiding in Christ? What are other things that we look to for life more than Jesus that we need pruning from? So just shoot out, just quick answers, short answers. What are things that get in the way of abiding in Christ that make that hard? Pride. Pride? Ouch. Money, career. Okay. Hobbies. What's that? Hobbies. Hobbies can, can take first place. What else? Comfort. Say it again. Comfort. 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 We should be uncomfortable if we're too comfortable, right? Any, what's that? Procrastination and busyness can sap the life. How does that work, Bob? All right, so we don't quite get around to putting Jesus first and his word first. Anything else you can think of? Oh, yeah, fear of what God might expect from us. Ooh. So it's a trust thing. Well, yes, uh, that's, that can be a problem. Uh, we all live in the world, so I think what we're talking about is how do we live in the world and, and keep Jesus first? That is the question in front of us. And uh, truly be drawing our life from Jesus. Well, in light of what Jesus has said about prayer, this incredible prayer promise he's given... Uh, how should we be praying that the Father may be glorified? So examples of how can we pray? Again, just some quick input. What, what are ways we should be praying in light of what Jesus says about the Father being glorified through fruit bearing? Any ideas? Surrendering to God, asking Him to be number one, us to see Him as number one. Okay, great. Other ideas? Increase my faith. Increase my faith. Yeah, just keep asking God for the things that are gifts of His anyway. He loves to give, and, and we, He loves to 
to glorify himself through our answering prayers like that for us. Other ways you can pray? Yes, asking God to use us right where we are. Absolutely. It's easy to think, well, someday, some way, when I get this place in life, when this happens. Well, in light of that, I'm going to ask, um, we're just going to take a few minutes to pray. And some of you are just primed and ready to pray. So I'm going to ask for maybe like three or four of you to pray in light of this great promises of God to bear fruit for his glory. We do it through our church and we do it in our lives. So pray and then I'll close. Okay? Let's pray. And pray, out, pray as loud as you can so people can hear. Father, you are the perfect vine dresser. You are the, the gracious and yet true, just master gardener. And your son, Jesus, is the vine. We cannot bear any fruit for eternal good, eternal glory, for our good and for your glory, apart from abiding in Jesus. Father, help us to see what those things are in our lives that hinder abiding in him, hinder remaining in him, hinder holding fast to him, hinder just being desperately, joyfully dependent upon him. Father, perhaps one of the things we need to do most today is, is to repent. To repent of looking for life in all the wrong places and then getting angry and frustrated and depressed because we are looking to, for things to provide life that only you can provide. We recognize, Lord Jesus, that even when we are trusting and abiding in you, like Christina Amon Neville or uh, Mahin, uh, that things get hard. Life is hard. We, we know we live in a fallen, broken, corrupt world, and so we're not surprised, although we still are surprised, when things are hard for us, and then we, we don't understand how that abiding in Christ should be our priority. But <clears throat> may those things, Father, rather than wrecking and depleting and sucking the life out of our faith, instead cause us to cling more desperately to Jesus so that we'll recognize and see him as the, the, the eternal life that will pay off in the long run, pay off, because he's already paid the price for us to purchase us from sin's grip, and he's already conquered death and sin by his powerful resurrection, and he sent his Holy Spirit. So you've set it up, Father, so that all we have to do, all we have to do, is keep that long-term commitment, trusting and obeying in him. But, Father, we recognize how feeble and weak even as Judy said, pray for our faith to increase. Would you increase our faith? And with that, would you increase our delight in you? Would you increase our joy in obeying you and holding fast to your word and in not procrastinating the good intentions we have to, to, to do what uh, is pleasing to you? And, and as I pray that, Father, I pray that we wouldn't walk here, away from here hearing a to-do list, that it's all up to us just to grunt it out it does take effort, but it's got to be faith and grace-driven effort. Even as the, the branch is not uh, working hard to stay connected to the vine, uh, the branch just needs to be desperately dependent on the vine. And so would you cause that to happen in us? And, and then, Father, you are pleased. You love it when we bear fruit. And we, we confess that sometimes we're, we're too busy inspecting other people's fruit or we're also too confused about what fruit is in our own lives, and so we do know that 
you are the final evaluator of what is fruit. But uh, we know, Father, that it would be growing and becoming more like Christ and influencing people graciously and, and in your Holy Spirit for the sake of his name. So would you cause that to take place, Father, more and more in our lives and our church body for your glory, for the glory of it all, as we sing, that we may live. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Before I dismiss you, I encourage you to come up here for more prayer. So there are people like Roy and others who are ready to dash up here and pray with you. Uh, Otherwise, if you don't have any prayer needs and you're ready just to go on your own, you can go. But uh, otherwise, let's pray some more together. Enjoy the day. See you next week.